Blog Talk Radio. Marshall, can we just talk about this for one second? You rescued her. You raised her. You're not protecting her now. You are holding her back. One, don't you ever touch me again. Two, don't you ever touch me again. Now, you have no idea who the hell I am or where I've come from, and I'm not about to tell you my whole life story. All I need to be to you and everybody on this dome is a fixed point. The last man standing. I do not need your sympathy or your admiration. All I need is your compliance and your fighting skills. And if I can't get that, then you can go back to the wall that I found you crawling on. Do I make myself clear? Yes, sir. Good. To another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro-Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl B. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. Again, welcome to our grindhouse. I am your host, D. Burt, aka the Afro Nerd, and we have our own podcast watchman. That it would that would include, of course, yours truly, Captain Kirk, the Uncanny Daryl B, and his doppelganger, Claire Linnae. The call-in number remains a constant: six four six nine one five nine six two zero. Again, six four six nine one five ninety six twenty. We tried so many times to get. Ms. Bamadele Sagbasan. I'm probably screwing up her name, but I, I wanted her on so she could cor- correct me. Uh, she is the CEO of this Nigerian-based 
comic company, Vortex Inc., and there's a certain way we have to configure the system in order to, to get her on because she's calling from London and or um, Nigeria. So for some reason, uh, our tech is still kind of screwing up. So if she's listening, my apologies. For whatever reason, we're still not able to kind of get her on. So we will work it out because I, I think she digs what we do, and I certainly dig what she does. So we've got to get that corrected. Anyway, um, a chief component of the show deals with urban alternative groove, black rock and roll, psychedelic soul, and all that stuff. So let's get that out the way first, um, and then we'll get to our normal discourse. There's just a lot to talk about. Uh, also, before I forget, uh, we've got to send out our thoughts and condolences to the victims recently uh, from Nice, France, that terror attack. Wow, man, it's going down. Um, Let's try to lighten up the load a little bit. This is Rhythm Rock featuring Angelo Moore and the Lions. Give you about two minutes and then we'll be right back. Let's groove. Captain, you need it on the bridge. Let's get to it. 
get it started. Let's do it. You know this gentleman, this doppelganger one, then there's doppelganger two on the left coast. First up, we have the indefatigable, uncanny Daryl B. 2016 has no chill. Um, This week, as everybody knows, Tim Duncan uh, recently retired. But just a few hours ago, the man who was Tim Duncan before Tim Duncan, Nate Thurman, passed away. Folks, just do yourself a favor and, and look this dude up because there won't be another one like him. Dwight Howard may try, but Nate was pure class. And he originated the quadruple double. So to the Golden State, Cleveland Cavalier, and I also believe Chicago Bull families, you lost the great one. All right, Daryl, man, it just shows to show you that 2016 continues to suck and just keep on sucking, man. Um, Wow. Anyway, let's uh, go to something brighter by way of the left coast. You know this young lady. Uh, definitely an integral part of the Afro Nerd Radio machine. Uh, let me get her revised music up. Hold on, <laughs> folks. Okay, the Bionic Woman mix. <laughs> so she is the Bionic Woman. This is the lovely Claire Lene, West Coast correspondent. Claire. Hey. How are you? I try to mix okay, it up one day bit. at a time. One, How are you? Pretty good. Wonder Woman one day, Bionic Woman the next day. What can we do? <laughs> Claire, uh, you know what you have to do. Um, we need you for your weekly roundup. Tell us what's good, what's going on. All right. Well, let's get into it. Uh, Supergirl is adding Floriana Lima to play Detective Maggie Sawyer. Also, Ian Gomez has been cast as Snapper Carr to play Carr's new boss. This is likely how the producers will reduce the Cat Grant role since Callista Flockhart has expressed a preference for staying in L.A. instead of re- relocating to Supergirl's new home, Vancouver. Munich star Haim Abbas and Ant-Man's David Desmalchian have been added to the cast of the Blade Runner sequel. Uh, Renee Elise Goldsbury will finish her run on Broadway's mega-hit Hamilton to join Netflix's sci-fi drama Altered Carbon. David Diggs has just finished his last performance of Hamilton and is moving on to join Julia Roberts and Jacob Tremblay in the young adult drama Wonder. Netflix's Death Note adaptation casts Agent Carter's Shea Wiggum. I definitely want to give a shout-out to Misty Copeland for landing a role in Disney's Nutcracker movie. For those of you who don't recognize the name, Copeland is the first black woman to be promoted to principal dancer in the American Ballet Theater's 75-year history. Fox and Marvel will team up for an X-Men pilot from Burn Notice creator Matt Nix. Legion is currently in production, but Hellfire will not be moving forward. There have been conflicting reports as to why Ghostbusters will not be released in China. Some people say it's due to China's obscure censorship guidelines prohibiting movies that promote cults or superstition, but others have claimed that it's simply due to the lack of nostalgic appeal or interest. To the excitement or chagrin of many fans, depending on who you talk to, the the names of the three men who wrote the Wonder Woman movie have been announced. 
The script is credited as being written by Alan Heinberg and Jeff Johns, based on a story by Heinberg and Zack Snyder. Sony chairman Tony Rothman confirms that Homecoming not only refers to Spider-Man's high school dance, but his return to Marvel. Kung Fu Panda 3 director Jennifer Yu Nelson will make her live-action debut with young adult adaptation Darkest Minds. It is said to be a mashup of X-Men and The Walking Dead. According to Mortal Kombat star Christopher Lambert, a sequel is now on the way instead of a full-on reboot with a time-travel twist. As of right now, Aquaman Helmer James Wan is currently attached to produce. In comic book and video game news, looks like Hinan Kong, a.k.a. Superman, will be getting some company as DC Rebirth assembles a new Chinese Justice League. This trinity, based out of Shanghai, now includes Peng Dailan and Wang Baixi as Wonder Woman and Batman. Notice the inverted initials of Diana Prince and Bruce Wayne. Marvel is releasing a new Iron Fist series later this year, written by Kare Andrews with art by Afu Chan. Sega's Rent-A-Hero video game will be adapted into a movie with an Uber for superheroes premise. Casino Royale, along with several other James Bond stories, will be adapted into comics. Seems to follow suit with other British-based detective adventure series, such as Sherlock and Doctor Who, which have also previously been turned into comic books. Paramount is turning the Battlefield video game into a TV show. Justin Lin is still attached to the Lone Wolf and Cub movie. Image comic series Plutona could be headed for the big screen as the rights have been recently purchased by Waypoint Entertainment. Well, that's it for my weekly roundup. Back to you. Okay, Claire. As always, uh, a necessity for the show. A lot of folks seem to dig, as as do I, the weekly roundup. So, again, kudos. Folks, if you haven't guessed it, this is the Grindhouse edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk, the uncanny Daryl B., and, of course, Claire Lene. The call-in number remains the same, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Shouting out Bamadele Sagbasan. I'm, I'm, I think I'm getting closer to how I'm supposed to pronounce her name. Uh, a correction, she is the EIC. She's the editor-in-chief of Vortex Inc. Comics. Uh, we will try our best. Uh, unfortunately, Blog Talk has issues with Skype, so uh, it's like hit or miss. And then the direct connect, which, was, which is what I was trying to do, that's not working. I, I was able to listen to people, but they couldn't listen to me. So we've got to figure this out because I want the audience to be fully aware of this great and necessary global comic book company. Again, black folk are doing the damn thing. Outside of the States, folks, they are, they are African comic book companies, so I definitely want people to know about it. So we, we will work this out somehow. It is necessary. Anyway, um, quite a few things on the, on the gristle to really get into. I think, um, first up, I think we should really talk about this deal, this deal with yet another comic book property that's going to be uh, not so visible because of a death. And I want the uncanny to talk about this a little bit. Try to be as succinct as you can, Daryl, on this one. Um, Civil War II, the second crossover event, 10 years past. Um, I think it's safe to say we can go ahead and – I mean, the newspaper spoils this stuff beyond before we did. So the Hulk is out of here. Explain to the audience what's going on. Okay. Um, 
got to go back in issue. Back in issue, Ulysses, the guy at the center of this conflict, predicted that a Hulk would go crazy in, I think, Las Vegas and just kill heroes. So at the end of issue two of Civil War two, um, Captain Marvel flies into the powerless Bruce Banner to confront him, and that's where three picks up. Well, one thing leads to another. And Darryl, hold on, hold on. Who who is Ulysses? Just to the audience, so we oh, know like uh, okay. his power set. Uh, Ulysses, who is he? why is he? All right, Ulysses is a newly formed inhuman with the power to predict the future. Right? It was his prediction that led the Ultimates into that fight with Thanos beforehand, and uh, which got James Rhodes killed. So, the, uh, so uh, at the heart of this conflict, it's him, uh, because of him or what he can do, why Tony Stark and Carol Danvers are on opposite sides. Because they both want to use his powers differently. Right. Captain Marvel uh, is using him. As, Captain Marvel is using him as sort of like a pre-crime Marvel's version of pre-crime. Correct? Yes, Minority Report in the okay. fullest right now going on. Right. Just want the audience and, to fully be aware. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. So, so just skipping over a bunch of minutia, it ends up with a conflict with Bruce Banner facing most of the Avengers. Okay. And during the conflict. Or well, during the argument, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes, folks. Uh, it appears Banner is getting mad, and just then, from out of nowhere, an arrow comes and pierces Banner's heart, killing him. And the heroes search the forest. They find the bow, and there's Hawkeye with his arms extended. All right. Um, I won't get into why, because that's too much of a spoiler. People can spoil all they want. I won't get into why, okay? Safe to say there's a valid reason for it. My thing about this is I don't care how powerless Bruce Banner is. is. It's been set up. If he's about to die, the whole change happens right away, all right? Uh, famously portrayed, which is still in canon. Marvel keeps on telling you that the Hulk, the end, is still in canon, all right? Where it's been related that every time Bruce Banner is about to die, the Hulk reappears to save his life. That's why this, the, the, his power is a curse, okay? I, can, I, know, I know they pressed the cosmic reset button after uh, Secret Wars, but, but, the inner, like, continuity geek in me went, all right, say what? What just happened? Yeah, I, I, it, Banner, Banner set his, uh, created something to actually kill him. Yeah, that shouldn't be possible. It's comics. Anything is possible. But that just goes to show you how 30-plus years of reading affects you. Because I sat there looking at the book like, and immediately I got five ways to bring him back, A. And B, I'm looking at it like, what the F word? Like, uh, did I just read this? Really? I mean, 
it, it's hard to say. It's hard to say that that something leaves you not speechless, but but just like with a cocked eye looking at it. But that I was looking at. I was looking at this like The Rock, like really raised eyebrow, like uh, of all the ways to go out, this is the way he goes out. This this, this makes no sense to me. But I all right, do one, rec- one quick thing. Let, let me this. Let me just re- reverse this to Claire real quick. Because um, we want to try to get everything in for time constraints. I want to re. I'm, you're going to get come back, Daryl. But I want to ask something of Claire on a slightly different tip connected to this. Claire, ag- again, I know you're you are more on the movie side. Um, what are your thoughts about Marvel util- utilizing these deaths? And I'll come back to Daryl on this. Utilizing these deaths to affect the movies. This is what I mean. Um, we're hearing now. That, that Marvel print, that they're trying to lessen the role of the X-Men. Now, to the, the backstory on this, uh, to our listening audience, many probably know about this, or many probably do not, is that everything isn't, everything isn't clear about it, movies being all Marvel. Just because you see a stamp saying Marvel and the infamous uh, rolling, rolling uh, comic book screen that we see every intro of a movie, you see Marvel, the Marvel logo rolling doesn't mean it really is a Marvel product. We know that Fox and famously Sony and Universal to a certain degree, some of these, some of these movie houses also have links to Marvel. So when you see a Marvel movie, it doesn't necessarily really mean it's Marvel entertainment. So what I'm hearing is Marvel, on the print side, starts to kind of kill off characters or lessen their role. We know that the Fantastic Four really isn't uh, in full print the characters, characters have been split apart. We really don't have a Fantastic Four comic book, probably because Fantastic Four is with Fox and it sucks. X-Men uh, has been doing gangbusters um, um, money and movies, but we're seeing now the X-Men, X-Men is being screwed around with. Um, I don't know why they're doing this to the Hulk. So w- what are your thoughts about Marvel kind of having a different um, strategy when it comes down to taking away these characters, they're taking away, taking them away for some reason. What are your thoughts about that? I don't really. I mean, as much as I respect Marvel, you know, in terms of the brand, the empire that they have built. Um, when it comes to these, when it comes to the comic books, and it's no disrespect to any long-term you know, hardcore comic book fan. But let's just be honest, okay? We are talking about characters that are decades old, okay? I don't know how many times these characters have died and come back or, you know, changed identities, changed genders lately, changed races lately, changed from being, you know, all about freedom and in the American way to hail Hydra. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I I honestly haven't had a chance to really delve into into the Marvel, you know, the whole the Marvel Now or DC Rebirth or any of the stuff that they've been rolling out as of late. Um, but, you know, as someone that kind of sees this go on in television and and movies and whatnot, this 
it feels very symptomatic of a of a soap opera. And truth be told, I don't take soap operas very seriously. I mean, I don't know if I'm supposed to, but the thing is is that it's hard to be invested in anything when you know that characters can come and go and die and re- be reborn and it, it just I I don't know. I really don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to make of it, actually. I mean, I don't know if it's supposed to be some sort of foreshadowing of what they plan to do in the cinematic universe, because we know that Hulk is obviously going to be in Thor Ragnarok, but um, but I don't know. And in terms of shutting out X-Men and Fantastic Four, well, they've been doing that for a while, okay? They've been doing that for a minute, and we all know why. We all know why. We all know the relationship between Marvel and Fox is uh, icy, okay? They don't like each other, obviously. I mean, if you are purposefully discontinuing the print, then it's it's clear, you know, you're just, you're like, okay, well, hey, this is all, this is all you, Fox. We're handing off the baton to you since you are so dead set on never giving it back to us well, then why should we continue to have these in circulation? Just just do you. Just do you. You want to F up Fantastic Four? Go ahead. It's yours to F up now. Um, I mean, like I said, I can't speak too much on it since I haven't actually had a chance to delve into these new events. But even by me saying events, you can hear the tone of my voice. It's just it's like I can't. I, it's hard to be invested. So what? So what? He's dead. He'll probably come back in in a year, six months. Uh, Cap, what what are your thoughts on the business side of of things? Um, I also wanted to talk about. Do you think that maybe this is a way for Marvel to kind of push the diversity initiative in a way? As Claire just said, these properties are fifty, fifty plus years old. Now, uh. What we've all been discussing for, for since the inception of AfroNerd is we need to see more, a more of a variety. Now we have a, a Korean American Hulk. Maybe it's more about that Hulk getting shine and ushering us into. I mean, this is maybe this is wishful thinking, but ushering us into the 21st century. And in order for that to happen, maybe Bruce Banner has to die for a couple of months. Let's say a couple of years. Barry Allen was stayed dead for twenty years, so uh, I don't know how this is going to play out. But do you think that uh, that might be an element? Uh, just your thoughts. What do you think is going on with 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 Banner having to die this way? All right, I'm going to give you my thoughts. And I spoke to Daryl about this via text. Also, right now Marvel's a bunch of suckers, and I do agree with Claire. It's hard to be invested when you've been reading with the Hulk for the longest, for a long time. From my standpoint, all timelines, I don't care which way you go, only thing that kills Hulk is someone like Zeus who can weaken him a certain way or some super, 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 super powered magic. Regular magic doesn't work. And even in the movie, you had Banner, the Avengers, when they were all there and they were holding Loki's staff and everything else. He even said, we didn't see it, but he said it in the movie, Banner, that he tried to kill himself and the green guy spit out the bullet. So what are we doing here? Just a crash. It's just, you know, it becomes a cash grab just to reset everything and everything else. 
But I agree with Claire one hundred percent. How you get invest how you get invested when that's what you're doing? When people have been reading this forever. I, I, I you know, what do you do? You know? Some things you have to have a certain amount of equilibrium and some things you can change. You know? I don't think this is necessarily one of them. It makes it look a little weak to me, the whole mythos. That's all I'm saying at this given point. And I'll pass it back over to you, Afro Nerd. That's all. Let's go to the chat room and kind of see how folks are co commingling. Uh, our friend John Hutton says, if you believe Marvel is going to go for any extent of time without the Hulk, you're crazy. Um, under normal circumstances, I would be inclined to believe that. And also the fact that Hulk is appearing in this Ragnarok, upcoming Ragnarok, I mean, you, you do have to have, I think, the Hulk alive in print. It would make business sense. Um, Black Ronan says, Hulk will be dead until next year and the next event. Uh, Hulk, John Hutton says, says Hulk rebirth uh, coming, Marvel Resurrection coming summer 2017. So I see folks already kind of have the branding for this thing. Um, let, let's go to back to the uncanny for his thoughts. Uh, what about the weir- weariness that everybody has been talking about? This, this does kind of make me tired to constantly see this kind of event. I think they need to deconstruct the crossover event after all this time. And we've been doing this thing for so long with the, the, these large events every summer, both companies have these things where they promise to promise to take promise to shake things up, and then we go we, we constantly have to reboot and rejigger and go right back to where we were. Is there going to be a point where they're going to turn off the comic book buyers, Daryl? Well, that's just it, and and I get where Cap and Claire are coming from because. It's a very insular-type nation when it comes to comic book readers. But to Marvel's credit, when uh, way back when, when they said Secret Wars was it with this event, they did say no one was safe anymore. All right? Uh, now, here's the thing. And, and, and again, uh, I've, I've been pissed because Fantastic Four is possibly my second favorite team at Marvel behind the New Mutants. All right, so I've been on this bandwagon for the longest about listen, Fox and that that's the movie side. Why are you punishing the comic book fans? I guarantee you there are Bruce Banner fans and original Incredible Hulk fans saying the same thing today. Like, if this is between you and Universal, why are you affecting my reading? All right. We are not necessarily Amadeus Cho fans. We're Amadeus Cho fans when he's playing off of Bruce Banner, because you got the two contrasts, you know. But because because we found Rick Jones to be ultra annoying, and Amadeus Cho has got a, a little a little hint of swagger and stuff to him, you know. So so you're gonna get some of that, all right? My thing is here, looking at it both ways. You've only just reintroduced Banner since Secret Wars ended, and he's already off the board. His power set, that shouldn't be possible. That's almost like, okay, and today we're going to kill him. Say what? Wait, what? 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 Like, it's a problem I'm having over at Squadron Supreme when they just killed Namor like that right away. Someone we know is powerful. All right, took him out like a punk, bap, and now all of a sudden, all right, and, and breaking news, 
uh, with this storyline that Squadron Supreme is running now, it looks like they might be bringing Namor back. So within like six issues of doing the shocking event, you're going to bring this dude back. I don't want to. If, if Banner is off the board, then Banner is off the board for at least two, three years if you're going to do this. I don't want cheap stunts. I would rather it be a long, protracted storyline. I'd rather it be something you laid seeds for, all right? Just Amadeus Cho being the Hulk out of nowhere after Secret Wars is not enough, enough of a plum or enough of birdseed to lead us into, okay, banners off the board. But that being said, folks that don't like this event and, and I give and take with it, you have to check out the courtroom scene in this book. Civil War II, number three, check out the court scene. Because along with Power Man and Iron Fist this week, that is possibly one of the most powerful scenes I've read in a comic book. Where the heroes have to take the stand for and against Hawkeye. Very powerful stuff. And if there's something... Else? Oh, sorry if, about it. Go ahead. Sorry about that. Yeah. If, if there's something Bendis gets better than anybody else that's writing comic books right now, he's able to mix emotion with, with courtroom slash police procedurals. He's able to do that. And I dare anybody to look at that scene where Hawkeye is on the stand. Right after, I believe it was Cap that went before him. Either Cap or Cap, uh, uh, Tony Stark or Cap went before him. And Hawkeye gets on the stand and just, it's powerful stuff. It is. It is. And later on, we'll bring up Power Man and Iron Fist. Or I will. We'll, we'll bring this up because if you didn't read it, David Walker must have been, been, been a precog himself. Because a lot of overtones of what it was happening in society was in this book. And it was great. All right? But for people out there that's tired of event comics, it, it was a nifty tie-in. As far as the Hulk goes, I don't want to hate on it, but Marvel has shown the propensity to make a move just to make a move to get into media. I don't want this to be that. This better have a lasting effect. Back to you, Afrinard. All right. Uh, on that note, let's go to a quick groove. When we get back, more discussion. Um, you know what? Actually, uh, I think our guest might have actually uh, figured out a way to call in. So uh, I think this is the correct person. So when, when, we, when we come back, I think we'll be able to do our Vortex thing. I hope this is the person. So... Uh, let's go to a quick groove. When we get back, we'll get into an interview, more discourse, more Afro-Nerd Radio. This is Sunshine featuring Reggie Watts with Flight Facilities. We have all, also callers, by the way, but let me repeat that. Sunshine with, featuring Reggie Watts with Flight Facilities. We'll be right back. About two minutes of groove. Uh, check. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
Yeah, okay. Uh, Psalm 2, I think, is – I'm probably butchering his name. Um, he's going to try to call back to our listening audience. Uh, it's unfortunate, but again, if anything, beyond me, go to Vortex Online, Vortex Inc. Okay, let's try it again. Uh, Psalm 2, is that you? Yeah. Uh, still choppy. If you could say a couple of more uh, words. What do you mean by choppy? Ah, we got to figure out a better way because we can barely hear you. It's so choppy. Mm. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, okay, wait a minute. Still not, still not good. <laughs> now this is not going to work. <laughs> All right. Um, we're going to have to work this out some way because it, there's a desperation here where our folks need to know about Vortex. But the, the sound quality is just this bad. Uh, again, folks, my apologies. These things happen. Um, visit the website. We'll work this out some kind of way. But for some reason, we're not able to get to connect. Um, I think he's coming in by way of, by way of uh, Skype. And Skype, they said, blog talk is, is pretty rough. Um, Let's open up the lines. Uh, let's go to 631. My friend Nemesis is, has arrived. Nemesis, what's up? Okay, now his phone is screwed up now. He's local. <laughs> Come on now. Now. How are, okay. Nemesis? Can you hear me now? Yep. Yeah. All right, I don't know what's going on. And, and also to our listeners, um, if you'd like to join in on the conversation, press 1. Press 1, and that way we, we will know that you would like to join in on the, on the discourse. Uh, we have a lot of folks online that are simply holding just to listen because of their, their cell phone. So, Nemesis, uh, it's actually more calls, so we'll get to you in a moment. Um, Nemesis, what's up? Your thoughts? We were talking about um, the Hulk dying, basically. Yeah, I'm just uh... – I, I, first, I was on the podcast, and I heard Captain Kirk going off. <laughs> I, first, I want to say hello to everyone, and um, I, I, I was just like, thank God I don't follow the comics the way I used to, because I would be pulling my hair out of my head with what's going on with the storylines and, and the movies, and, and the, it's, it's, it's utterly ridiculous. Uh, you know, what more can I say? Uh, I... I, I want to apologize for stepping out early on the last broadcast. I had to leave, but, um, you know, it's always a pleasure to be on you guys and hear everyone's perspective on, on everything. So likewise, no problem. Time. Yeah. I'm here. All right. Not uh, much to uh, say. Let me put you on hold. <laughs> huh? Okay. So, all right, hold on. We got another call. Uh, hold on. All right, caller, welcome to the Grind House. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from. Triple one. Triple one? That's what is coming up. <laughs> oh. How are you? Tell us who you are, where you're calling from. What's up? Okay. <laughs> are we having problems with our connections, maybe? Is that what's going on? All right, let me uh, try this again. <laughs> All right. Triple one, the phone is kind of, I guess, masked or something. Welcome to the Grindhouse. Tell us who you are, where you're calling from. 
all right, this isn't working. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe it's less about uh, the gentleman from Vortex. Maybe it's issues with uh, Blog Talk's lines. But for whatever reason, some of the calls are, are choppy. <sighs> Technology, you gotta love it. All right, let, let's let's move. Okay, we have another call. This is from the DMV. Let's try this again. I think this is our friend Black Ronan. Is this Black Ronan? Yeah, what's up, fellas and ladies? Hey, howdy, up, Black. Okay, what's up, man? Nothing much. I'm just listening in. Um, as far as the whole Hulk thing goes, I'm just tired of events. I'm tired of Marvel with their events. It just needs to stop. The crossover guys. Is it just Marvel? Is it just Marvel? You know, there's Rebirth too. Is that is is it just Marvel's events? No, you're right. I think they need good individual stories. That's what they need to get back to. They need to get back to the good individual issue by issue, single thirty-two page stories. Just tell a full story, and or maybe even a two-part story, but don't go beyond that for 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 a while. That's what they, that's what they need to get back to. Yeah, you know, I, I'm curious. You know, we always talk about the big two. Daryl, are are there any other comic book companies beyond Marvel and DC that also try this successfully well, or unsuccessfully? Well, here's the thing, right? And and this is why I keep on telling people, pay attention to what Valiant is doing, okay? They're, they do their share of events, and Divinity is now out in stores, to prove my point, but... No, uh, Divinity 2, excuse me. But they, it's it's like they give their characters and 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 um and errors like time to grow. I I I don't know how else to explain it. It seems like with Marvel and DC everything is event to event. You know, and you don't get a chance to get that Personal, I know it's a comic book. I know, I know how this sounds, people, but they don't give like characters a chance to grow, you to feel, to, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a weird dynamic. It is. I, 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 I mean, I'm sounding totally geeky when I say this, but, but, a good comic book character is like a member of the family. I know, I know that, that I just said that. I realize I just said that, but folks, I, I, I'm being deadly serious about this, you know. And what Valiant does is you got a chance to grow, and they're not afraid to take the different directions with characters, okay? If Marvel's attempting to try to do that, then okay, okay it's fine. But the problem is we've seen too many times where it's just been a cash grab, baby. You know, and 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 uh, uh, jumping from event to event, and the event you're we're, uh, we're talking about in terms of mutants is Death of X. Death of X is coming up for for issue series where it'll explore a where are the mutants, what happened to the mutants, as essentially it's going to be a, a mutant versus inhuman war almost. Written by uh, Jeff Lemire and Charles Soule, the writers of Extraordinary X-Men and and the Inhumans, both of them, uh, uh, respectively. So, again, I've just been burned by Marvel too many times with my favorite characters to see this as nothing more than a cash grab. Back to you, Afro-Nerd. 
All right. Um, to our listening audience, again, you're listening to the Grindhouse as powered by Afrener, the Afrener Radio Machine. To our holding callers, remember, if you'd like to join in on the discourse, press number one. That way we will know that you'd like to join in on our conversation. Again, press number one. That way we'll know that you are uh, like Horshack, raising your hand to join in. Okay, here's uh, our unknown Horshack. <laughs> Welcome to the Grindhouse. Tell us who you are, where you're calling from. What's up? Hi. Um, I'm Bombadelli from Voltec. Oh, okay. Hey, Bombadelli. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Listen, tell me, sis, am I, how do I say your name? <laughs> okay. Um, it is Bombadelli. And how do you say, you, say your last name? Okay, um, now this that again, is the... again. Bummy Billy. And, and your last name? Showbethel. <laughs> okay, I'll stick with your first name. <laughs> Bummy Daly. Okay, all right, I'm in, I'm in. Okay, welcome finally to Afro Nerd Radio. Finally. Okay, listen, you sound lovely, by the way. Um, t- 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 tell us. Tell us about Vortex. What is Vortex? Um, okay, well, basically, um, I kind of before before I kind of say that, I just want I just want to clarify. Um, Sonsa did try to call in, but I don't think you guys were able to hear him because I was I mm-hmm. also was listening in, but he was breaking up a bit. And he's the CEO. I'm just the editor in chief. So yeah. Okay, you're the EIC. Okay. Yeah. But anyways, back to your question. Um, Vortex is basically um, an African-based comic um, book company, which is um, it's more of telling African tales, but in a comic way. Do you get what I mean? So like um, having um, African heroes and just putting Africa out there in a positive light, basically. Okay, so uh, what? Tell us some. Tell us about how you how you came to be with this company. Where did it come from? How did you start, actually? Um, to be honest, I've heard some people say he started from his um love for comics. But I was brought in through a friend of a friend. So he's friends with one of my friends, and I'm a writer. Um, so she was like, um, you write anyways, and I have a friend who is looking for a scriptwriter, and I was like, okay, yeah, sure, no problem, and um. Yeah, she gave me his number. I contacted him, and he was like, "Oh, he has a comic book company." Funny enough, I've ne- I before I started working for Vortex, I've never been a comic book fan. So in that sense, I was like, I was really scared. And then when I spoke to him, he was like, "Nah, that's cool." And then I started reading up on some comics, and I got into the, you know, um, should I say the gist of it? I don't want to say the wrong thing, but yeah, I guess. But yeah, so I got into it, and um, from there, yes, I guess that's how sometimes I met. But um, it's more of I think he he believed in something, and he just basically went for it. And I think that's how the birth of Vortex came along. I think. So, so do you see, um, as far as in West Africa, that this that this pop culture phenomenon, and we're crazy in the United States. But do you see kind of a frenzy in, in, in Nigeria? Do you see that this is become? I mean, obviously you're in business, but uh, do you see this as becoming uh, a phenomenon 
in in Africa as far as superheroes and 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 what we call now blurred culture, nerd culture? Certainly, certainly, yes. The reason is because like um, most of the generations that are coming up now are into. Um, I heard you talking about Marvel um, quite a bit ago. Um, are into superheroes and comic books and things like that. So most people are getting into the story of it. And the fact that Voltex relates it to Nigerian culture, it makes it more relatable. It makes it more familiar. So most people are getting into the habits of reading um, comic books. And in that sense, it makes it, um, I, I, I believe it would literally become something huge, not just in West Africa, but in Africa. Well, I, I tell you, um, as far as how it works in the Americas, with, with black people, especially in America, I'm always, on, on our show, we're always touting Nollywood, the Nigerian film industry. And, yeah. and I think we should be making more inroads to actually connect. Do, do, would you like to even see some kind of uh, a cross-pollination between uh, the comic book industry in the States connecting to your company or even just making connections business-wise, some kind of collaborative yes. effort? Do you, do you see that happening, or do you think that's necessary? Yes, definitely, definitely. I, I see it happening, I see it as necessary. Because, um, like you said, the Nollywood industry is um, connecting with um, American actors now. And um, there's some films that have been done, actually, um, with Nollywood that have basically had the collaboration in it. And I believe that with the success of that, if comic books should go into that same venture, I believe that it would not only create an it would not only leave an impact, but it would make it something bigger. Do you get what I mean? Like in the sense that it would um it would just make people venture into something else. And it would I don't know how to explain it. I just feel like it will uh, I don't know if it's making Sorry, I'm so lost of words right now. But um, yes, I do agree that it would become something big, and I do agree that the collaboration needs to be there. Yeah, you know, we spoke to uh, another person uh, who has a company, um, EXO Roye Okupe, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, and um, he even because we're somewhat ignorant in the states, and I was unaware that they have comic book conventions in Nigeria. Uh, Lagos, I believe, has a comic book convention. Is that correct? Yes, yes, it does. I haven't been to it yet because I'm in London, but Sumter has been to it. Yes, it does, and I've seen pictures, so yes. I'm going to open it up to my co-hosts, who may have some questions for you about, again, to our listening audience. Um, we're speaking to Bamadele of Vortex, Inc. She's the editor-in-chief. I want you to definitely go to her website and buy some product while you're at it, by the way. Uh, let's go to uh, the uncanny, the uncanny Daryl B. Daryl, uh, any questions for our guest from Vortex, African Comics? Uh, yes, Miss B. Welcome to the show. Uh, my main question is, uh, in terms of you, you say your comics are connected to like uh, Nigerian mythology and and uh, just African culture in whole. How much, uh, by and large, how much do you rely on research of people like scholars, professors? You know, or is it just uh, uh, is it just the writers winging it? 
or do you uh, do you guys set out to instruct as well as entertain? If you catch the drift, like do you create it so you go into the point where not everybody knows the mythology? We're 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 here. We're entertaining, but we're hoping that people get a better sense of our culture through these books. Um, to be honest, um, it's not when I, when I say in the sense of we're connecting with the Nigerian um history in that sense is we're not only connecting with the mythology aspect of it, but um some 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 of them like for instance the um comic June 12, which is one of my favorite. Um, it's about, well, June 12 to Nigerians is, is a very um, important day, and for some, it's a very touchy day. Uh, but the thing is, um, in that aspect, the June 12 character is then created in a sense of he's um, one who, as, as you know, politics is a very big issue in Nigeria at the, mo- at the moment. So in that sense, he tackles different um, daily um, mishaps of politics. So it's not directed at politicians, but it has a playful aspect to it, which is when, like an issue of it, which um, has to do with a politician taking money out or having the wrong type of connections, and the guy comes in and straightens it up. Basically, it's um, in that sense, we're not going directly to change aspects of Nigerians, but we're basically trying to say, look, there's a moral behind it. So in the sense of you can do it, you can you can do certain things, or this is the right way to do something. Do you understand what I mean? I'm not sure if I'm making much sense. But in that sense, we're also, the myth, myth the mythology part of it is we're taking like, um, should I say, um, some certain aspects of the fact that the heroes are not traditional Heroes in the sense of they're not. How do I? How, I do not say that. In the sense of they're like. Um, okay, another one is Mumujiju, which is um, about two guys. It's basically the way that the heroes are structured. They are structured in a tradition, in a sense of Nigerian traditional form. Do you get what I mean? In the sense of we're not changing the myth and we're not like all oh, adding to it but we're just playing around with it, where people can relate to it, and people that do relate to it, then they have a different aspect of it, so they have a fun aspect of it. So it's not like we're taking the myth out, or we're, not, or we're taking the, um, the history out of it, but we're just playing around with it. I'm not, I'm not sure if you, if you understand why I mean. No, I, I understand it. Actually, you make, it's quite clear. You're, you're just kind of updating and tweaking some of the Nigerian mythology. That's essentially what you're saying? Yes, yeah, basically. Um, Claire, this is a technology thing here. This, I mean, as much as I hate technology, this is great. Uh, you're speaking to, to Bamadele, and she's in London, and you're on the West Coast in California. So this is amazing. Claire, do you have any questions or thoughts for, for uh, Bamadele's Vortex? Um... First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for, you know, joining us here on the show and allowing us to interview you, introduce you to, you know, to some people who definitely need to be aware of your of your product. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, uh, I, 
find it interesting that you said that prior to joining Vortex that you really weren't into comic books because I know upon, you know, interviews and other other panel discussions that I've attended, I I noticed that the same thing was said by Victoria Alonso, who is now executive vice president um of, you know, VFX production at Marvel Studios that prior to, you know, to joining the company, this wasn't necessarily her bag, regardless of whether we're talking about comic books or uh, visual effects, technology. But here she is, you know. I mean, a, a, a rare title for anyone, let alone a woman, and let alone a woman of, you know, of uh, a diverse background. I believe she's, um, I believe she's Argentinian. So my question to you is what, what led you here? What led you to become the editor in chief of uh, of a comic book company? To be honest, um, like I yeah, like I said, I didn't. I wasn't a comic book fan as a kid. I was more of the cartoon versions that they were made into. And um, right from being a child, I've been a very creative person. And I'm also a scriptwriter, so in that sense, I like stories, and I like um, things that make me imagine, things that take me out of, should I say, my reality, and make me focus on something else. And in that sense, I'm, when Somto asked me, did I want to, he, we started off talking about um, another comic entirely, um, but it's still part of Vortex. But um, he then said to me, well, why don't you write something from your point of view, and send it to me, and then we can talk about it, and we can build on it. And I was like, okay, no worries. And, but I had to write it in not a screen, right, not like a script form. I had to write it in a comic book form, and it took me a while. But one thing I realized is the more I wrote about what I knew and the more the imagination came and the more I learned about writing in a comic, um, for a comic book aspect, the more I got into it. And funny enough, as soon as I got into the aspect of reading, that's when I think they created the June 12th thing, um, the comic, and I started um, reading on it, and I enjoyed it, and then I became more comfortable, and then from there, someone asked me to read some more, and I did. He recommended some, and I did, and I read some, and um, so in that sense, being the editor-in-chief, it's not, I, it's, it's not just about having a love for comics, but it's, it's now more about the stories that people come up with and the way that they can write it in a different sense to a script. If, I'm not sure if you understand what I mean, but like you write it, the, the way it is written, where with so little words, they say a lot, and the actions say a lot, and it's not like a normal script that I see almost every day in that sense. So because of that, I started to love it more because the stories were different. The stories, well, not too different, but like different in the aspect of, but like um, different in the aspect of the way the story, the direction of the story, and the way it was, it was written, the way the synopsis were. Yeah, I guess that was what made me kind of be comfortable in being an editor in chief. Yeah. Which, um, uh, Captain, you mentioned that there were comics that you that you read that that you were inspired by that really made you love the format uh, even more. Um, do you mind naming a couple of those that you liked? Um, oh, 
There was one I saw online. I've literally forgotten the name right now. Um, it was one about. It wasn't a Marvel one because I didn't want to go into the um the popular ones because I knew that if I did, I would just completely lose myself in trying to find how to write like an expert when I wasn't. But um, I read some um amateur ones where people had put online. And, um, my God, there was one that was recommended to me by a friend. I've literally spoken the name right now. And I read it. It was about, some, it was about a serial killer who, um, went, uh, who goes around killing people. But he, he's, well, hence the reason of a serial killer. But um, he, he killed the people in the wrong way for the wrong reasons. And because of that, I got into it. When I do remember it, I will email it to you so you can say it. But I, I have forgotten it right now. But yeah. Are these these books are they in English or are they in multiple languages? Um, they were in English. Absolutely in English. I found them online on Google. And yeah. No, well, I, well, I guess I should say as far as Vortex books, are they I would assume they're in multiple languages? Oh, um no, they're in English, but then we have the uh Pigeon English, which is intertwined into it and a little bit of so, like, the three main tribes in Yoruba, uh, sorry, in Nigeria, which are Yoruba, Igbo, and Hausa, you have that, like, the little lines that um, stress the action further, if I'm making sense. So, like, for instance, you have, um, in, you, it, it's some of them, like the Mumujuju one, um, when I was reading it, it's got a little bit of um, pigeon in it, which just helps to stress that fact, and the line, it helps to stress the action, which is in it, and it's, it it does explain it, but you do you do get the sense of it, even if you can't pronounce it. You do still get the sense of it. So so we Yankees in the states we can understand it <laughs> definitely. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Captain, do you have any questions for Bamadeli and and her Vortex Inc. business co- her company? Yes, one question. Simple, but broad. Simple, but broad. Given that you have, let's say you have the energy behind the platform of Vortex Comics. Where do you want to be, let's say, 10 years from now with this company? That is the question, simple but broad. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk from my perspective as the editor-in-chief, but um, I, I believe I will kind of talk for some time as well, but let's just hope. Um, to be honest, in 10 years, um, like we're doing right now, we're trying to branch out to other African countries. So not just Nigeria in a, in a sense. Um, so in 10 years, I would say our hope is that we, we have gotten to an extent where we have collaborated with multiple African countries from every side. And um, also to be to be able to have audiences from not just Africa, but from America, Australia, India, anywhere, but still having our name and still having our identity in the sense that we're an African-based comic book. So in that sense, we would um, love, also love to collaborate with people outside Africa and within Africa. Yeah. Bamadeli, uh I think we're going to have to um, get you back again to go deeper into this. We, we definitely are interested in your company. 
Um, we finally made it. <laughs> I'm glad you were yeah. persistent in coming through. Uh, it was a struggle, but um, it goes to show you how much of an interest your product is globally. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of that. So I, I, I will definitely purchase your product. Um, our audience says that, they, that, that your, your English accent goes a long way in the States. So already people in the chat room said that I'll buy I'll buy her books just because I like the way her voice sounds. So you've already got some customers. So we'll keep oh, in touch. And uh, I really appreciate that you, that you stuck with us. It was a very difficult thing, but we just had to do it. And I'm sorry I was screwing up your name. But no, gonna... <laughs> it's all right. So it's okay. But um, we'll keep in touch. We'll, and, I'll, and I'll pass the word about Vortex, Inc., but um, we'll, we'll try to get you back on, maybe with even better sound quality. But we, we appreciate you, appreciate you uh, sticking with us. So we'll definitely, okay. we'll definitely appreciate you coming through. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, now. Uh, that was Bamadele of Shogbasan. I probably messed up her last name, <laughs> of Vortex, Inc. Um, definitely check out her, her comic book line. Let me give her her dupe. I give her Okay. I'm very, very um, happy we did that because I think it's important to know that this comic book thing is 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 a big thing, and I think folks need to know. I mean, as much as we may have issues with what Marvel is doing, maybe because of of Vortex, it's maybe you have to have a Amadeus Cho or a Riri Williams. Maybe Marvel sees uh, the long, the, the big picture. Daryl, do you think that plays a role in this? I mean, the fact that you have we've, – we've interviewed a number of African – not talking about African-American, African comic book companies. So doesn't that – maybe that really – maybe it's more about what Marvel needs to do because the audience is a lot bigger than what it was 30 years ago. Do you think that may be what's going on also? Well, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't throw this in. Congratulations to – uh, show contributor, frequent guest, madman, uh, Joseph P. Elledge for uh, becoming senior editor over at Lion Forge Comics. I, on an equal or equal note to this, you know, uh, the fan base is varied now. I know there's people out there that would love their comics to be the same way it's always been. It's always been. It's always been. But the problem is we are in 2016 now. I said, it, I said it when we were talking about Hulk. I may want a certain thing, but I realize that times are changing. I just don't want this to be, oh, we're doing this just to do this. All I want is the stories to be rich and enveloping, and make you make you emotional, make you want to follow. You know, don't just throw stuff out there. With image, dark horse, action lab, um, aftershock. Uh, I brought up Lion Forge. Now you got Vortex. Uh, there's comic companies all over the place. Valiant. Comic companies all over the place, Darby, you know, that, that we're, we're getting a whole variety of stories now, tailored to everyone, 
everyone. If you got a person or a type of interest, there's probably a comic book out there for you. If you're a, if you're a different type of gender, if you have a different type of sexual appeal, if if there's a comic tailored to you out there. That being said, Marvel and DC have to start realizing, and they've been doing it bit by bit, that they have to tailor their stories now to a varied audience. Hey, we've seen uh, um, just as enough misses as we've seen hits when it comes to this stuff, but just because it works or it fails doesn't mean you stop trying. You have to keep on going because... We go to the comic shops every week. We see now that it's not just a white man's domain anymore. There are more females, more people of varied ethnicities attending comic book uh, shops now. We see it at the conventions. uh, Folks got to get out of the same old, same old thinking, and they got to realize that the audience, the customers, and people with vested interests come from every walk of life now. Back to you, Afrener. All right. On that note, another groove. When we get back, speaking of women in the workplace or workspace, I want to bring in all our co-discussants on this one. There's a lot, lot to really get into based on what Daryl just spoke about. Um, we have Frank Cho walking off of the Wonder Woman project, and then we have the Wonder Woman film, that although you have Patty Jenkins as the director, there are no female writers allowed to participate with this Wonder Woman film about an an empowered woman, you know, literally a feminist icon. So I find that interesting. So we have a lot to to unpack. So uh, let's go to a quick groove honoring the passing of his royal badness, a permanent fixture at Afro-Nerd's The Purple Room. This is Days of Wild, a rehearsal by his royal badness. His rehearsals are even bad, meaning good. We'll be right back. Let's groove. Wild hit me. 
funky for our audience. <laughs> that is the late Prince Rogers Nelson rehearsal. Again, rehearsal, he's a tough dude. That was Days of Wild by his royal badness, the late Prince Rogers Nelson. This is the Grindhouse edition of Afro Nerd Radio featuring yours truly, the uncanny Daryl B., Captain Kirk, and, of course, our left coast correspondent, Claire Lanay. The call-in number remains always the same, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Again, I'd like to uh, give our our many thanks to Bamadele from Vortex, Inc. We finally did it. Um, and I have a thing for those who have British accents. I'm an Anglophile, so folks know that you can speak anything. If you say it with an English dialect, I'm all in. So definitely patronize her website and her business. I see that our friend Black Ronan also, um, I'm going to bring him back. He he was mentioning another Nigerian company, Power Knights. Um, tell us about that briefly, Black Black Rona, are you there? Okay, guess not. <laughs> All right, is everybody there? Is everybody still around? I'm back. Claire, are you there? Okay. Black yeah. just brought Black in. Ronan? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Okay. Tell us about Power Night. It's a, it's a Kickstarter thing, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I saw it a couple months. Well, a couple months ago, you know, um, Roosevelt Pitts with Sir Purge. He went over, he got hooked up with Power Knights, I guess he's out of California. Um, Keeping Jones is the artist, and he created a book called Power Knights. It's a pretty good uh, little storyline about two brothers, uh, tragedy that happens, and also it, it includes a lot of uh, out-of-speech galactic-type elements to it and everything. Um, oh, yeah, but you said comic, comic, comic Republic, I'm sorry. Comic Republic was the other Nigerian comic book company, correct? Yes, yeah, they've been around for about a year or two now. Yeah, they've been around about two. And they, they're pretty good. Um, 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 typically in PDF format in most of their comics, you can get them online, and they you know they just take donations and everything. So you guys want to check them out. They're none of the Nigerian uh, I'm I'm a little. Well, what's going on with us? Is it only um, Milestone? And no, that's no, no, not no, even no. really independent like that. Are we? What's, what are we doing here in the states? Kid Comics is, is U.S. based. His comic is U.S. based with Keith and Jones and Roosevelt Pitt and a few others. So that's U.S. based. Okay, because I'm, no, I'm just saying that you know I'm noticing that the Nigerian brothers are doing the damn thing, and we can't even get Milestone off the ground. It took us like 20 years to revisit it. Is this something go? Is this something wrong, <laughs> Black, or am I just not reading the reading the writing properly? I think part of it is is organization, organization, and I think part of it is organization, and then just getting the word out properly. I think that's that's why I think it is. I mean, there are quite a few U.S. based companies, but yeah, you got you got to hunt for them a lot of times, um, and you'll and you'll see them pop up on um, like one like for instance, Street Team, which is like a which is a book that's out. And they have a video game and everything. They've been around for a couple of years now. And I'm surprised more people aren't talking about them, um, and they're several different artists who got together off of the old Hero Talk site. And I'm surprised they're not more popular and not more well-known, but they've been around for a while now. Um, but I think, it, I think a lot of it is word of mouth and marketing. I don't, I don't think people are talking enough about them. You know, you mentioned Hero Talk. It's one thing I never understood the cat that ran that. 
why he didn't expound on that or expand it because that was a way to kind of collect um, people yeah. of color in one spot. He just didn't want to go further into it. Did you notice? That? Yeah, I mean, that was like a, a Glip Award. He that's, that's you know the Glip Awards are his. He's the one that the Glip Awards and everything every year. Um, was name Omari the Mari? Omari. I know. I know the Glip Awards. Yeah. I guess yeah, things are being guy. done. I, I don't know. I just. I guess I wish I would have been a little bit if it had expanded a little bit more. But yeah, the Glip Awards are pretty impressive. So, uh, I guess people find where they fit in. Um, let's let's get into the into the topic for the second half. Uh, I want to I want Claire Claire to take lead a little bit. I was reading the Mary Sue website, the MarySue.com, which of course is more female centric, and um, or dealing with women in comic books, and they they made light. Or they not made light, but they brought to light something that I think is very disturbing. That fortunately doesn't appear to be happening on the Marvel side with Black Panther, but but certainly could have been. Um, Patty Jenkins, we know, is the director helming this Wonder Woman film with um, Gal Gadot, and now we find out that okay, yeah, she's helming it, but there's no women screenwriters attached to this thing. Um, isn't that a problem? That, you know, that's kind of defeating the purpose of, you know, Wonder Woman is a, is a long-time women's empowerment uh, icon, fiction or not. So wouldn't it be appropriate, appropriate in the 21st century to have more women involved behind the scenes with this film? Well, I guess. Well, what are your thoughts on that, Claire? Two steps forward, one step back. That's how I feel. Marvel is guilty of it too. DC does it. You guys, you 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 do so well on one end where it's like, oh, okay, well that's progressive. Good job. Good job. And then Marvel says, oh, but we're gonna make the ancient one a white lady. How do you like that? So here, we're thinking, okay, finally, we're we're bringing in the team. We're assembling a great cast of characters, you know, to build up the DC Extended Universe. And we all anticipated this, hoped for it. But, yes, we have a female director, right? You have a black man and a black uh, uh, comic book writer, um He's a, I mean, what was his name? I'm sorry, Ta-Nehisi Coates. So you've got, you've got Ryan Coogler, Ta-Nehisi Coates. You've got the whole promise of casting a primarily African-American or African-based cast for Black Panther. Okay. So then now we get to flip around on this side of it and expecting, hoping, praying that, geez, Louise, can we have a woman? Can we have a woman? have some sort of creative input in the script of Wonder Woman? Is that too much to ask? Is that so far-fetched and so absurd that a woman should have some sort of say in what a woman says in a movie? How dare, how dare we assume such a ridiculous thing? So I don't know, whatever, whatever. I like Jeff Johns. I respect Jeff Johns. The fact that I see Zack Snyder's name attached, the fact that I see his name anywhere, anytime, usually pisses me off. But really, <laughs> really, 
I would have been okay for you to have Snyder's name on this thing as long as you had some sort of estrogen involved in the script. I mean, I'm, I don't even know. I don't even know what to think. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just worried. I'm worried that here we go. We're going to have a bunch of men, a bunch of dudes in charge of Wonder Woman, okay? And I'm also worried that maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is unfair, but I'm also worried based on what little I have seen, so I need more information. But I kind of feel like that mascara is going to be a bunch of white ladies. Mm-hmm. I just have this, I have this sinking fear that that's what I'm going to see. And so now I'm just, I'm, I'm irritated, I'm turned off, but whatever. I mean, should I be surprised? I guess not. I guess not. But is it really is it really so far fetched to have a I mean come on come on the fact that Nicole Perlman okay Nicole Perlman is the first female screenwriter to have been credited with a Marvel film okay and that was Guardians of the Galaxy that's not to me I I would not even assume that or or have thought that there would be any sort of pressure to have a female voice on that film, I think it's lovely. I'm, I'm, I think that's great. I'd like to see more of that, considering that Marvel is like 13, 14 films in to have, you know, one movie with a woman involved. Gee, gee golly! But, but of all movies, of all projects, of all properties, that as you said, embody embody feminist empowerment, and you're going to have it written by three men. All right, then. Back to you. All right. Let's go to, uh, let's go to the phones, and then we'll get to Uncanny Daryl B.'s opinion. Um, actually, before I open, open up the lines, I will say this, that, you know, I, I think what's happening as far as current events, I mean, this almost, this almost dovetails off of chaos theory. What do I mean? It, everything seems to be going to crap between between what happened in Nice, Paris, pardon me, Nice, France, Nice, Paris, Nice, France. What ha- what's happening in the states? All this this factionalism with everyone at each other's throats, and a lot of it has to do with folks vying for quote unquote self importance, as the great captain always talks about, vying for self determination, and it really looks like. This is becoming more and more really what's, what, what, what the anger, the root of the anger with everyone is that this, this is becoming awkward at this point now. You, you can't have a movie like Wonder Woman. We have to remember the early underpinnings of Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, albeit created by Marsden, the, the famed male feminist, this, this dude was, although he was male, he was a feminist. This guy had a very unorthodox lifestyle. He was about the empowerment of women in the 40s. So the, the early inception of the character has a lot to do with kind of deconstructing what it means with male-female roles and gender and empowerment. So you go, go into the 21st century, and you're still doing the, the, the um, patriarchal thing with a feminist, iconic, fictional character, 
it is embarrassing at this t- at this point now. And I don't understand why uh, we're doing things that look to be just in poor form. It doesn't look good. The, the word optics comes to mind. Optics. I mean, the fact that we it got to it got to this point where you have an African hero, and you're starting to, starting to see maybe this, this film really bears that distinction now. Um, channeling what Claire's talking about, we just got to the point where we're kind of sort of seeing a black film with an, Af- an African hero, where everybody involved coincidentally is a person of color. It kind of sort of makes sense. The optics are appropriate. The optics don't look too good with a with a, a feminist character, and you still have dudes. It's still a sausage fest. Let's go to two hundred one. Welcome to the Grindhouse. I think I know who this is. Q. Hey, fellas. How you, how you doing? Good. This is Q. Q, yes. Um, let me just say first, real quick, as far as I know, we in the United States are the only Western democracy that has not had a female leader running this country. And it's 2016. So, this question should not come as a surprise to anyone. I think that's embarrassing for us on the world stage. Okay, I'm going to put that aside, all right? Is it possible that Hollywood and the, and the studio is so afraid of launching Wonder Woman, because it took forever for Wonder Woman to get on screen, that they're so afraid that their thought process was, okay, we got to have a woman Directing this film now, I, and this is not me talking. This is what I'm, I'm uh, suggesting that they are thinking that because directors nowadays really almost have the same clout as the film itself. Like you, you can launch a film based on the director nowadays. Is it possible they said we got to have a, a a female directing this film because the public knows they look for directors now. But they don't care about screenwriters, so let's get the brothers in here. Let, let's get the guys in here, and let, let's keep that um, in, in, in our purview. Is that possible? I can see it being possible. I, anything is possible. I, I just know that there seems to be a fight with how businesses normally run and, and the optics of things and the fact that the, that the world or the culture is changing, whether we like it or not. The culture is changing. How – as I was hinting at, a lot of what's going on in real time, culturally, socially, politically, what's happening in real time is playing a role on a role on how things have to go down even in our fantasy and science fiction. It has to be that way because, it, because the, the thing that we like about these movies is how they, how, how they, how they comment on what's happening in real time. Wonder Woman, although a 65-year-old character, or maybe 70 years at this point, has to be relatable to a 21st century audience. So a lot of things that I see now that they're just starting to actually address. I mean, we know that uh, Themyscira or Paradise Island uh, may or may not, well, may, I think it's a, it's a lot, it has a lot to do with the island of Lesbos. Um, you can't have an island of women and not and they're not having fluid sexuality. Uh, we've never really addressed that with with a Wonder Woman. I don't know if we'll see it for this commercial movie, but that they're they're starting to to touch on this in print. 
Um, again, so the a optic- better way to express that fluid sexuality amongst women than a than three people who have penises. What better yeah. way to get experts on the matter than having a bunch of dudes writing about women and what they go through? Well, you know, I had a conversation uh, with... Um, and you know I'm being Jamie sarcastic. Jo- Just want to make that real clear. <laughs> we got it. Uh, I was speaking to, to Jamie Broadnax some time ago, uh, I think at the last convention, actually, Um Jamie Broadnax, famously of Black Girl Nerds, and I was, you know, we kind of got into it a while ago. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to, to go into that. We got into it previously, and we've all we patched things up. But I, I, I was lamenting the need for self determination when it came down to Black Panther, and I said, as uh, as a counter, that you know, hey, Wonder Woman, the optics, they had to have a woman as a director on a on a film project called Wonder Woman that's a feminist icon. You kind of sort of had to, but if, but if things were to be how they normally would go, there would be no women involved at all. We, I, we may have to be thankful that, that Ms. Jenkins is involved with, uh, with Wonder Woman, but people are starting to look into, they're starting to pull back the curtain and say, hey, you've got to have women, women screenwriters involved in a feminist I mean, you may hell. You might want to have someone like um, I don't. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of any other famous uh, feminists. I mean, you, you'd have to have some folks involved just as far as as um, consultants. I mean, I was thinking of Hel- Hel- Helen Gurley Brown, but she's she's deceased. Gloria Steinem, someone Gloria Steinem, or any number of uh, not even just white. I mean, we can go even deeper. Than that it doesn't have to, it doesn't even have to be a white woman. Claire hinted at that as well. We we were told because people saw the optics on that island because in print they've had to address that this is supposed to be a mystical island of of global women on that island African women Asian women um, Latin uh, Latinas they they have changed things around uh, Daryl any thoughts about this you must have thoughts about this. <sighs> Gail Simone, G. Willow Wilson, Jody Picoult, Afua Richardson, uh, Madjorie Lou, Amy Chu, uh, Marguerite Savage. These are just a few of the women that have written Wonder Woman stories for DC Comics or done art for. Uh, uh, I've forgotten Nicola Scott, who's on it now with Rucker. A, 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 a talented women that could at least be in the room while the, the, the writers are doing this. Or the, uh, okay, we want to do this. From your perspective with this work, you need at least one in the room. You have enough talented women in your company or satellite around your company that could, you could have come to for advice on this. You know, it, it's, like I said, it's 2016. I don't want to see an all-white guy, all-white room writing Shaft. 
likewise i don't want i don't want an all black crowd writing um uh, writing stories about victorian england you know you you uh, you need allow that some things some things remain consistent daryl we know that that they would not allow well i'm 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 just using it to prove the point you know you do need representation in the room right and they have enough talented people in that company yeah uh the only thing that's making me wince about about suicide squad is that John Ostrander or Gail Simone, neither of them are in this writer's room for this movie. That makes me winch just a little bit. Because both of them are famously connected to, to Suicide Squad, a.k.a. Secret Six, a.k.a. Villains United. And neither of them are in the, movie for, uh, in the writer's room for this. That's the only hesitation I have about Suicide Squad right now. I'm, I'm just saying... And if you know you don't have any females in the room, D.C., why do you volunteer the information of who your writers are? Being who Wonder Woman is and what she represents, didn't you think that would make a lot of females mad? Who is your public relations person? It's not a matter of volunteering. It's just a matter of public record. It's on IMDb. It is posted. It's official, and it will be obviously in the credits when the movie scroll does the intros and the outros. It's just a fact. Yeah, so it's but not a matter of you know whether they volunteered or withheld. We would find out eventually, regardless. The point is, is that why is this okay? Why is it okay for three dudes to write a woman's story? All right. Uh, it sounds like my argument last week. I mean, you, I mean honestly, ago. they don't have vaginas. How are they going to, you know, intimately know what a woman goes through when she's weak, when she's strong, when she loves, when she's in, in you know, in fury? Like, wh- what are you going to really attest to as an observer when you yourself don't really understand? That's what I'm just, I'm so disappointed hearing that. You, you know, I mean, um, after all these years, we've got Wonder Woman up and running on screen after so many failed attempts by other men, and then here we go. Three men are credited as, as writing the story. Well, and, and you know something, Claire? It's funny that you say that because, you know, I, I, I did this. I'm going to have to go into this briefly because it, 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 it makes sense that sometimes when, you, when there's a certain level of arrogance that no one's going to – they're not going to hear you. This is about being arrogant. You know, I brought this up again. I got to go into this. I have to go into it again, but it's because of the same damn thing. When I brought up this deal about uh, the Black Panther, I know people are probably groaning because I've said this a a thousand times on the show, but uh, what you just said applied to my feelings about Black Panther, and I see that it's straightening. It had straightened itself out. Maybe folks from Marvel heard heard us. I believe stuff like that because we don't know who's listening to our shows. We have a lot of listeners. I had said that just as um, the Bessie Smith story on HBO, which was done masterfully by Queen Latifah, Dana Owens, when she did that, Dana Owens, we may or may not know about her sexuality, but it's somewhat out there, that she may be of an alternative lifestyle, uh, and that the the director was also a, a notable lesbian, a lesbian of color, 
that in order to play, in order to convey what it meant to be a bisexual blues singer in the 30s, you might want somebody that has something to do that may have a, may have a clue about about that experience, and it made for a a better movie. Sure, you could have you could have a straight white male, which would have normally been the case. Straight white males are, are, are able to tell everybody's story except for the people themselves. So the reason, the way that that HBO special played itself out, all the accolade, all the accolades, and all of the the uh, all of the attention that that movie had gotten, probably because it was a little bit more accurate with the folks behind and in front of the camera. When I said Black Panther, you may want black male representation for that. I was told, no, 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 we need, we need to have a sister involved in that. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's all about being black. I'm saying, wait a minute, you're not listening to me. So it is important that with some of these projects, you may want to have a little bit closer connection to the character. But when there's arrogance or when there's agendas afoot, people aren't listening. And the, the, the normal way of business is very much about, White male hierarchy That dictates everything Even with Bendis looking out And I say in quotes With Riri Rihanna Williams For Iron Man I would be very interested I'm going to buy the book But I would really be interested to see A black or a woman of color Millennial Writing a millennial story It just makes sense there's going to be little little things going on with a person who knows about that character that would make it that much more interesting than a middle-aged white dude. I'm just saying. Anyway, um, Black Ronan wanted to come back in. Black, you have any thoughts? You, you said you wanted to say some stuff. Yeah, uh, I, I pretty much agree with this about what everybody's been saying about the whole Wonder Woman. And I, actually, I just found that out myself, I think, earlier in the week when I saw the article that was, I think it was on comicbookmovies.com. Uh, about that she directed it, but it was written by, like, Snyder and a bunch of other guys. And I was like, I, my eyes just rolled. Um, but the other thing, I just found out today, I was looking on comicbookmovies.com, uh, and they were saying that um, they were talking to Patty Jenkins about the movie. And I don't know how you got people you guys are going to feel about this. I don't know if you read the article or not on there, but they were saying that I guess it's going to be a, a love story. That's what they were saying. Or there's going to definitely be a love story aspect to the film, along with, you know, the kind of origin of, you know, of Wonder Woman and everything. And I don't know how you guys are going to feel about that. I mean, I, I don't know how, to, how I feel about it just now. Um, just, because, just because it's a woman's story, why does it have to be a love story? I, I don't know. That, I, I'm, that question kind of ran through my mind. I just want to know what you guys think. For the, for the synopsis of the movie or, or the plot of the movie. You know what? Let's, let's hear the captain for a moment. We haven't heard, heard from him in a minute. Um, Cap, what are your All thoughts right. about what Black is talking about? Well, let me let me go back to the first part. Go back earlier. You're not going to like what I'm going to say in respect to this. No one's not going to really like what I'm going to have to say. You see, when we're dealing with Hollywood, you know, they are, as Afro-Nerd said, they're creatures of habit. They, they look at their little falsified sheets, and they say, well, we haven't done it this way before. You see, you have all these movies, and you have these huge budgets. You have these huge budgets, and 
Some of them are making money. A lot of them are not making money. Why there's so many remakes? Because they feel, based on their falsified sheets, that it's easier to do movies from that standpoint because our budgets are so big. Let's use something that is familiar. The meme is already big. Let's reboot. Let's remake. Let's do this. You know, then you get Independence Day reboot garbage. You know, <laughs> those sort of situations. That's the logic behind it. So, being making sense from looking from the outside in, it would say you need to have women writers. It probably should have, if three people are involved with the script, it should be two women and maybe one man. Or it could be all three women. You know, you have a woman director. But from their standpoint, they look at it like, well, this is, this is what we've been doing, and this is what works, you know. Now, whether you men like it or not, and I said this before, due to solitonic mathematics, and it's really a Wednesday thing, so I got a flashback. You could check in the archive with diatribes that the women eventually are going to take it here in the United States, and you're going to get delineated to nothing more than sex toys. All right? And as the men here in this country get a little more feminized, the women are going to go to the forefront because it's all about energy. It's all about energy, whether you like it or not. So there's a force at play. That's how you get a Ghostbusters. Someone has to turn around and say, well, we're going to do it this way. There's a force. If you ever played baseball, you know about a force. So the men can try to resist. Eventually, that's how it's going to go. As the Muslim world gets stronger, as you can see, it's getting stronger. The women are going to get stronger here, all right, eventually. doesn't necessarily mean Hillary Clinton is going to win the presidency, but that's what's going to take place. Hollywood, they're creatures of habit. As Africans like to say, it's about the, the white male doing things a certain way. But here you go, white male, you're losing power, and the women are going to go to the forefront, whether you like it or not, sooner or later. That's why all of this is happening. It's a force at play. A mathematic force, actually. That's why I say solitonic math. So, from outside looking in, is this the right thing to do? No. From their little falsified spreadsheet, they think it's the right way to go, you know, at this given point. And also, too, what you have to realize, you can't make everybody happy because when you try to, you go ahead and you do this, and it's an all-woman type of situation, who starts complaining? White males start complaining. So you have a problem with this, you see? So we're going down, we're going somewhere here in America that a lot of us would say we haven't been there before. Everybody's going to be beefing. You see? Everybody. Because there's not equal playing. In capitalism, it doesn't work that way. Someone has to be exploited. Someone has to be top. Someone has to be bottom. Someone has to be in between. That's just the way it works. So this is where we're going with this. And that's the reality of the situation, you know? At the end of the day, I say, make, just make a good movie. As long as the movie's good, that calms it down, you know? But if something goes wrong, you could point the finger. You could turn around and say, well, there should have been more women, you know? Or maybe the men should have helmed it more, you know? I maybe guarantee they should not you, have had I guarantee woman. you that if the movie tanks, I guarantee you those three white men will not be to blame. It will be the of fact that oh, the they have a woman on the screen. Of course. Uh, one, one quick, one quick thing to the, to the listeners. We still see phones, uh, a lot of phones, still on the on the boards. Uh, if you'd like to join in, definitely press one. 
That way we know that you'd like to join in on the discussion again. Press the number one if you'd like to join in on the discourse again. This is the Grindhouse as powered by Afrono Radio, featuring yours truly, uh, of course, Left Coast correspondent Claire Linnae, the uncanny Daryl Bean, of course, the person who's just, just speaking, Captain Kirk. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, this is just disturbing to me, and, and it's funny that I, I, that's why I'm so, uh, so focused on Black Panther, because it seems like everything riding, is riding on that. But Wonder Woman is very much in the same kind of bailiwick. It's the same kind of thing where uh, it, uh, it's, a, it's a minority group or a protected class. In this case, it's, it's, a, it's a woman or, or it's women. But Captain may be onto something because, hey, uh, Hillary Clinton is, I think, sometime this week going to disclose who her running mate will be. And uh, it would be very interesting if we see Elizabeth Warren on that ticket. If that goes down with two women on the ticket, that's going to say it all. Um, although I still think there's a little bit of white privilege, privilege there because Barack Obama could not choose a man or woman of color to be on his ticket. So the power play will still be in effect. Um, but it will still be interesting as far as optics for two women to run this country. And if two women run this country and if they do a good job, that's going to say a lot. If they do a lousy job, it's going to go the way of Patty Jenkins if this movie doesn't work out. I find it fascinating. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, and also I see that our friend John Hutton says that I, for one, welcome our female overlords. <laughs> I, think, I, I, think, I, think Cap, I think Captain talking about men being used as sex toys. Oh, for shame. <laughs> oh, I know you don't hate that. Oh, no. <laughs> And that's what you men wanted, so you're going to get it. <laughs> can I can I can I say one thing? Uh, yes, sir. Any conversation where the word vagina pops up, I'm in. Thanks, Claire. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Hi. I wasn't I wasn't gonna say anything, but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Don't let me cut loose. All right. Uh um Let's move things along a little bit. <laughs> um, you know, actually, I want to I, I actually talk about um, still on Wonder Woman. I know Daryl must have something to talk Before we get into, into this Pokemon augmented reality nonsense, because that's not – I, I got I to hold off on that. that that's going <laughs> in a different universe. See, that, that's further evidence that the apocalypse is coming, and I'm talking about the movie. Before we get to that, Frank Cho – perhaps one of my favorite artists. And I think it has something to do with what, I think the way he draws has something to do with what Q just referenced, I must say. <laughs> he knows how to draw a female form. Um, I, think he's, I think he hangs with the brothers a lot, definitely. <laughs> I, say that, I say that to be funny, but to be truthful. The way he draws his women is par excellence. But, but there's an issue. Frank Cho walks off of Greg Rucker's Wonder Woman because he feels he's being censored. I think even he has not he's not he's not reading the writing on the wall. Women are reading comic books now. And he 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 has been critiqued for drawing over sexualized women. He's talking about political agendas 
and censorship. So he walks off, and he seems to have a personal issue with Greg Rucka having final editorial control over the comic book. So, Daryl, I, I know you must be chomping at the bit. I mean, this is kind of Frank Cho's thing. I think he, he's being likened to being a prima donna somewhat. I, I love the way he draws. I, I'm not going to lie. But, I, hey, I'm, I'm reptilian by nature. What, what, what's, what's going on here? This is all on DC, all right? Greg Rucker is a staunch feminist supporter, okay? If the head writer of Wonder Woman is a staunch feminist supporter, all right, which means they don't like when women are objectified. They they they're looking to be uh, um, looking for the character to be respected for what they can do, not what they look like. If that's the head writer on the book, you do not you do not put a cheesecake artist. Doing the alternate covers on that book. What what business sense is that? That that is just as dumb, just as dumb as the putting um, uh, Manara, Milo Manara, what Marvel did with Milo Manara. Right. Which he putting him which he, on. Which he exactly, putting him on a book that's aimed at teenage girls. That is dumb, dumb. You know, you know what this reeks of. DC was looking for the confrontation, so now the issues that Cho has done now are going to be two, three, four, five times the value now, because you knew once Rucker found out about this, eventually Cho would do a cover where Rucker would be like, "Get this bro off of my book." It makes no sense. That's like me saying, you know what? I'm going to do a book for the LGBT crowd, and I'm going to have Orson Scott Card write it. Yeah, that's a good example. No, 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 no. And Cho has his supporters. I have Liberty Meadows books. I know guys that love Cho, present company included. But if you told me in the beginning, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to have Greg Rucker write Wonder Woman. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And um, our alternate cover artist is going to be John. Uh, is going to be Frank Cho. Whoa, 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 whoa! No, you can't have them anywhere near one another. But why not? Trust me, you can't have them anywhere near one another. Common sense. Common sense. I, I, again, like I said, I think it's an inside plot. Let me let me go conspiracy brother here <laughs> to to drive up the sales on the books that, or at least the value of the books he's already done for for the Wonder Woman Ultimate Cover thing. I think that's what it is. He, 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 this drove up the sales and it's driven up the publicity. But even a blind man could tell you, you don't mix fire and water. Or oil and water, or fire and blood. You do not mix these things because they're combustible. And sure enough, it, it just blew up in DC's faces. Back to you, Afternoon. Um, Claire, I, I gotta ask you this. As a man, <laughs> uh, how, how do we how do how do we balance out this kind of stuff? Because the, the early underpinnings of comic books 
and especially uh, women in comics and how they were drawn and Wonder Woman notwithstanding, they were drawn from, from a GGA perspective. GGA meaning good girl art. Good girl art is all about uh, kind of veiled sexuality or, or it's very much to, to get the, the young fanboys going. The female form as an art, as a, maybe it was, it's objectification. I guess that's what it is. But that, that's the early beginnings of comic books. So, so you have a whole, um, a whole fan base of boys or men, <laughs> fanboys men, that were raised to look at the female form in print that way, GGA. And now we have to deal with women coming into this space, and they're not going to like this. Secondly... I say there's a flip effect on this also. Going through the Mary Sue website, again, the Mary Sue website is a women's-centric site about women in comic books, and I love it. But I notice, I notice that any hint of male uh, sexuality toward women is a no-no. And yet, if it's Idris Elba or Chris Evans, I see there's no problem with women objectifying men. Where do we get to the truth of all of this? Because we're now, you know, we got we got to coexist, men and women in comic books. Is that too difficult? <laughs> no, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to process, you know, how I'm going to answer. Okay, so let's start with the first part. The first part. See, it's tricky. It's tricky because, again, you and I, we, we like this word, nuance. Nothing's black and white. Tons and tons of shades of gray. I will tell you that I've come across a lot of women, you know, at, you know, at my job, in, on Twitter, whatever. Women, if you men did not know this, listen here. Women are just as guilty and women are just as capable of objectifying other women. Women can be extremely cruel to each other because we know all. We know all of our insecurities. We know how each other ticks. So we know exactly what to kind of pick at, what to kind of pinpoint in terms of tearing somebody down because from get-go, our culture has taught us that we need to only validate ourselves by how we look. So it's not just men. Women do it too, and they still do it. They still do it. This whole, you know, feminist uprising thing, I mean, it's, it's, it's prevalent, it's strong, it's loud, but they, they're up against a lot. They're not just up against men okay i don't know how i don't know how they would necessarily reconcile this in the comic book world you know smoothly i wouldn't expect them to because you're right for how many decades now that comic books have existed men have grown very accustomed to seeing proportions of women's bodies that are very ridiculous 
you have been taught that this is the ideal form a woman should take. So I don't know. I don't know when when we're going to find any sort of balance in that in that scale in terms of, you know, having not having censorship of one's expression of 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 art, of how to how to draw someone whatever and also the fact that you know, we've got so many more women reading comic books and getting into this this world, not to piss them off and feel like, wow, I, do I not belong here? Do you, do you not want me here since you only want these, you know, these girls that are a bunch of, you know, tits on a stick, you know, or just basically running around, kicking ass, but half naked for some reason? In terms of the other way around, I don't know. I don't know. It's so, not the same thing to objectify a woman as it is to objectify some man's arms and his pecs and his abs. It's not the same thing. Can I? Can I? I'm sorry, Claire. Are you done? I, I wanted to jump in real quick. Go ahead. Go ahead. <clears throat> um, I'm looking at this guy's art, and I, I remember this guy. I think he did Age of Ultron or just some. Yes. Book. Yes, he did. Yes, right. he did. Okay. Janet Van Dyne the, comes to mind. Janet Van Dyne. The guy, I'm putting it out there. Go ahead. The guy is an excellent artist, but his art is fine. Yes. His art is sleazy. There, uh, in my in my comic book store, I, I you know I, I took my son into the store a couple times, and right on the centerpiece display, there is that cover. And I didn't know this was the guy. I should have known it, but I think it's a West Coast Avengers issue with Scarlet mm-hmm. Witch on the cover. And she's wearing this impossibly, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how you do it. It impossibly covers all the naughty bits of her body. And it's like, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. This guy, it, it's clear that he, it, it's clear he's objectifying women. Now, he doesn't do it all the time, but it's, it's come Enough. on. Come on. I'm looking <laughs> at some of the artwork he's done, some of the covers. Most of the women are in these sexual poses, very suggestive poses. I mean, I, listen, I'm a guy. I get it. But for real? I, so, I don't know. Well, listen, that, that's what I'm talking about. I think I think we have to, he has to understand. I mean, listen, there's a couple things going on here. As per usual, Daryl, you know, he, he goes places where, that, where, we, where we, it's needed. You know, there, there could be a kind of a salacious element going on. But it may also be this hissy fit might be more of uh, a joke with folks wanting to, to to drive up the value of these these variant comic book covers. Because now I'm I'm interested to know well what's all the big deal? I mean I want you know as far, as far as what he's presenting. But women are coming into this space, and we have to realize that we're going to have to kind of pull things back. I mean even I said listen I am I am a guy. I, I, I make no bones about that, but even I have my li- my my uh, I, I have my limits with even Wonder Woman. I would prefer Wonder Woman to put some clothes on. I, I say that because I, I want her to be on equal equal footing with the other male character. You have uh, Superman and Batman fully dressed, and they have a woman in a bikini, and we're going to believe that she can really kick ass. Hey, I mean, that you know, was. Pu- that was part Which of my problem with the, the costuming, the costuming upgrade, having a very, you know, uh, with the with the leather and the brass and the skirt, it looks very, you know, Lucy Lawless, 
you know, very Xena, you know, warrior princess. It, you know, the upgrade I can appreciate, okay? I can. I can. I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we're, again, again, we're talking about properties that have existed for so long and people have grown so used to seeing people, I'm sorry, not people, not people, not human beings, no, women, people have grown accustomed to seeing women in a certain way, even though, even though, I'm sorry, but I love them to death, Psylocke, Electra. there have been times when I feel like, you know, you, uh, girl, you're wearing bandages, okay, <laughs> you are wearing straps of fabric, how the hell are you going to be whooping ass when you are so exposed? <laughs> I well, mean, your JJ is, like, practically hanging out. Well, that, that was part of my problem with X-Men Apocalypse. I mean, all the guys get metallic uh, uh, upgrades. Everybody looks badass, and here's Psylocke still in a bikini. Wait, What? And well, the you know fact what? that she was better dressed, she was better dressed before getting taken over by Apocalypse because she had that, that nice-looking suit that had the, the blades hidden underneath, you know. And then she goes, gets taken over by Apocalypse. Everybody gets metal and shiny, and, then, and she's out there. We'll just say it like that. Q knows what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm not trying to. Right, I'm not trying to you know, squash your reptilian fantasies. It's a using your your word there. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yes, I still would like her to look good, be fit, look strong. I'm not trying to say that she needs to dress like a man. But dang, she is supposed to be a hero. This is supposed to be somebody that we can all look up to. And if she's dressed like a hoe, how am I supposed to respect her? I'm sorry. I'm well, going to calm down. Oh, said Claire. <laughs> no, you have to. Sometimes you have to put it. You, sometimes you. you have, sometimes you have, you have to. Sometimes you have to say it straight. I mean, that's exactly what's going on. And, and I, again, as much as I, I appreciate the female form, even as a, but I'm still a comic book geek, and I still want to. I still want plausibility, and I want equality. And, and I, I admire the Wonder Woman character as well. I'm, I'm invested in this Wonder Woman film, but I, I've always felt like, at some point. Well, it was, to be honest, when I was a kid looking at um, Linda Evans, is it Linda Evans? No. Um, Carter. Not Linda Evans. Linda Carter. Carter. Pardon me, get me wrong. Yeah, Linda Carter, you know, I wasn't thinking about that at the time. It, it's perfectly okay for her to be in a bikini running around like that. But as you become an adult, you say, well, okay, you're not going to be kicking ass. You, there's got to be some plausibility. Even Catwoman, they've corrected to a large degree. Where she she's wearing a utilitarian costume where it, look, it, it still accentuates her form, but also tends to look a little bit more believable to me, and it adds to the storytelling process for some reason. But if you have a woman dressed as like some kind of uh, I don't know some some kind of S and M goddess, although that's what Wonder Woman is on some level. Well, <laughs> I mean, Mars yeah. Mars and good. Marsden did create her like that. She was she was always in chains. I mean, it was there was a subversive thing going on, Wonder Woman, in its early development. Beyond that, let's let's move along. Let's move. We got a, a couple of minutes remaining. Still twenty minutes remaining. Um, I, I want to actually move things around just a, just a, a bit. Let's let's talk about this deal with 
the fan fan films. Um, Q, you didn't take kindly. I don't know if you actually saw any of this stuff. You didn't take kindly to the Star Trek fan films. And I, and I have to admit, I'm a little late on this. I'm pretty sure Daryl's already aware of this. The Star Trek Continues original series that's on YouTube. But there's a number of these Star Trek fan projects. And, and also this uh, He-Man cartoon that was made by Super 7 that's coming out in a few weeks that was made to look exactly like the classic He-Man cartoon. So it's, it's literally almost indistinguishable from the, from the cartoon from the 80s. And it's going to be seen in a parking lot somewhere in California, I believe. And then it's going to go on, on uh, the Internet. Um, is it possible that we're reaching a point where what's happening in fandom is almost matching what's happening in the commercial space? Well, I'll fill that real quickly. I say yes, <clears throat> and my my opinion is that you see technology becoming so less and less expensive that people, you know, college grads can sit in their basement and put together these brilliant films uh, for a fraction of what it costs a movie studio to do, but they're using the same technology. So yeah, I'd say that. Um, you know, you, you, I've seen some fan films, and I'm like, how, what? How, how is that possible? I need to step up my game. I'm in the business. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think so. And by the way, I, and this, I didn't really have a problem with the Star Trek thing. It just looked like a, it looked like a porn parody. And I'm like, 15 minutes in, I'm like, okay, let's move on. Well, I mean, Wait, this what? is the original series. You thought it looked like a porn parody, but I, I, wouldn't ag- I would disagree because – the original series, I mean, they have the exact set of the original series. I mean, you have to put your place, you put yourself back into 1966. I mean, that's what they had to work with. You know, um, uh, the Wild Wild West, the Wild Wild West TV series, from my understanding, even some of the props they used were the same. So I'm just looking at it from what it looks like as if it were William Shatner and, and, and Leonard Nimoy doing their thing. And I have to admit, I, I'm looking at even even um, we talk about this on air quite a bit. The, the Spock with a beard episode of the original series, where it was uh, speaking of Claire being a doppelganger, it was the evil doppelgangers of the of the original Star Trek crew, and Spock had a beard as the quote unquote evil doppelganger. Well, this Star Trek continues YouTube thing, which I think was a Kickstarter campaign. They continued what. Well, Continue. What would have happened after the good Spock left and went to his uni- universe? And I have to admit, it felt like the original series. It felt it, I, I, the, the guy that plays Kirk has his mannerisms. He looks like him. They have um, the, the gentleman that plays Scotty is James Doohan's son. And I had to keep on looking. I said, "Damn, he looks like Scotty." Well, that's his son, Lou Ferrigno plays in green makeup an alien in one of the other uh series one of the other uh um shows uh Aaron Gray from um uh Buck Rogers uh, was Buck Rogers she's in it I mean you start to see some of these people uh, Michael Dorn Worf is the voice of the computer I mean these people are actually doing a damn thing and I I can't I can't laud enough about Star Trek continues. It, it, it really does feel like it continued. 
I have to give it up on that one. Darren, well, what do you thoughts about? Uh, you saying just, it's like just, a, a new series on YouTube? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Claire. What is that? You said that this was some sort of um, a web series on YouTube. Yeah, well, what's going on is there are a number. I mean, you have Star Trek fanatics. I can't even say if Star Wars has this. I'm pretty sure Star Wars people probably have this. But the Star Trek people, and because I'm a Star Trek person, (laughs) and Q knows that, uh, I have to admit the Star Trek uh, fans have a number of series based on different timelines or different versions of the Star Trek mythology. And many of these web series are quite good. Matter of fact, some of them are almost indistinguishable from the, from the stuff from from the other stuff. So this Star Trek it's called Star Trek Continues, and I think it's about maybe nine episodes, but it has the exact the I'm talking about the exact same um, a, a studio that they used. I don't know how they did it, but it looks to be the same from the from the 1960s, and they have people that really look like uh, they really favor a lot of, of the characters from the 1960s. So when you look at it, it gives you the feel of 1966. Wow. Well, that's, just part, that's part of the reason why, why when um, when uh, Star Trek or Paramount issued the new rules for, for, uh, for fan films, people got, got mad. Go like because essentially the fan films can just as uh, take the story in whatever direction their imagination wants. You know, it it, it, it's sort of like, and and we're gonna get into it. It's sort of like the Pokemon Go for for Trekkies. (laughs) Like you don't, you're not set in one place. You could take whatever story and branch out and 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 uh, go 10 years in the future. Go 10 years in the past. Go to this alternate dimension. You know, what if this happened here and well, how would that have changed the timeline? And it, the the possibilities were endless. And then Paramount puts these rules into place and you're like, why are you trying to put us in a box now? Part of the reason why Star Trek has the popularity to these people outside of Star Wars was you were using your brain. You were able to create new scenarios. You were able to create new, new storylines. And then you put yourself in a box. It seems like you're stifling creativity. That's the one thing I love about these fan films because they are creative. The, uh, half of them, not good. Uh, I'll say that right now. But they do inspire a lot of thinking. Afrener? Yeah, you know, we spoke about this a few few weeks ago with the lawsuit, which you're referencing, the Axonar Productions lawsuit. And again, um, you know, uh, masterful veteran actor uh, Tony Todd, who follows us, incidentally, uh, he's part of that production team, as as was Richard Hatch, so that complicates it even further is that you have people who are well esteemed in the business that are also connected to this fan stuff. You have people who are who are, you know, working actors and actresses that are Trekkies. So that complicates the issue more because well, you know, if you got a, a man like Tony Todd on a uh Star Trek fan film or Richard Hatch and there are others, it it, it 
kind of creates a kind of surreal moment with even a fan film. I mean, if I'm seeing Lou Ferrigno in a, as a as a, a, a slaver, an off-world slaver. I mean, it was a hint of Hulk there. He's still huge at, at like sixty-something years old. He's still he's still the Hulk, and coincidentally, he was still green. You know, and that also was the the, the infamous green slave girl that that uh, Captain Kirk uh, beds. Um, not this, uh, not our Captain Kirk. Although I'm pretty sure <laughs> Captain wouldn't mind, but the the Captain Kirk. Uh, of the of the the mythology, that green slave girl. Well, her slaver was Luke. I mean, was uh, was was the Hulk, Lou Ferrigno. I mean, that, that complicates things. Anyway, I can dig it. And what and what uh, Q was referencing, I think we're we've, we're at the singularity now. I think they're almost indistinguishable. I, I'm looking at these fan films, and I'm I'm engaged. I'm thoroughly engaged. Now, something else that seems to be engaging people, which I find wholesale disturbing, is this augment, augmented reality craze now. Uh, Pokemon is just one, Pokemon Go, the downloadable app. But I'm hearing there's a number, of, a number of these augmented games that have people going to cemeteries, breaking in into places they're not supposed to be going into. People are getting arrested. People are finding dead bodies, real dead bodies. I mean, this is, this is absurd. People are walking into traffic. People are walking off of cliffs. Wow. I mean, I don't understand. Can someone please explain what the hell this is? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Um, let me see. I'm not a player, but I'll just say it like this. You can't be in one physical place and complete this game, all right? You have to go around. The algorithms of the game is that you have to move around to catch all of these. Got to catch them all. Remember that? And essentially, it works on the same premise. I don't know if you remember this from the 90s, 90s, early 2000s, early 2000s, I believe. But there used to be a game where if you scan, if you, you put your phone up to barcodes in the supermarket, it would release different monsters. Mm. It used to be. The commercial somewhere, it's floating around. It's essentially that. Now, the problem is, and this is why I said this is the ultimate Darwinism of a game here, is that the human being population are lemmings. They get so absorbed by the game, they don't realize the dangers around them. Oh, oh, shoot, I see a Charizard. All right, let me walk through this forest here. Uh, and I don't notice that, oh, fu- active firing range. Oh, 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 my God. Uh, there's, there's a squirtle right here in the water. Caution, crocodiles and sharks. You know, people are getting so absorbed by the game, they're actually culling the human population right now. I, the best See, one I've heard. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. When some, when I started hearing all these stories of people getting bodily, like injuries, okay, injuries because of a stupid freaking game, all I could think, all I could think of was every single uh, prescient reference in these movies or TV shows. So first thing I came to mind was um, that episode of the game in Star Trek TNG. 
And, of course, mm-hmm. Leslie Crusher is the one to save everybody because they all become uh, completely addicted to this game. It just takes over their minds, and, of course, it's an evil plot. Another thing, the not too long ago, Kingsman, the whole thing with uh, Samuel L. Jackson's Valentine character, you know, basically getting everybody's uh, SIM cards to to pulsate that, that particular frequency that makes them all go insane, because you just mentioned the whole culling of, you know, the human race. And then now you have this movie that they, they just released the trailers on TV recently, Nerve, which is basically a guy and a girl who sign on to this game, and the question is, is like, are you a watcher or are you a doer? Um, it's kind of like truth or dare on steroids. And they end up in these, like, dangerous situations and blah, blah, blah. And, I mean, I mean, the movie trailer looks hokey, but, I mean, look at where we are. Look at what's happening. This is ridiculous. For a game? Hell, I thought that people were nuts when they were getting obsessed with Candy Crush. I mean, basically, it's a you know jacked-up version of Tetris, so I, I, I get it. I love that game. I miss it. But, but to walk into traffic, to walk off a cliff, are you, to break into a cemetery, to have movie theater owners now put, you know, a stipulation, no talking, no texting, no Pokemon Go? Are you kidding? What is happening? Well, you know, listen, I've mentioned this before on other shows, not just the Grindhouse, about how, you know, the the culture is coarsening. I guess I'm channeling uh, our president where he said the culture is, cult, uh, is coarsening. When you have people going into a cemetery, while people are mourning, true story, uh, it's all there's the breakdown of the breakdown of society at this point. I mean, I, I like video games myself. I, I don't know if I can do the augmented reality thing. It just doesn't interest me. Um, hell, if it was done in a more uh, respectful way, where you got some of these younger folk out of their dens and living rooms to live life, that would be cool. But there appears to be no sense of respect or or um, of space. Of personal space. I mean, again, you have people going into areas where people are, are, have met their final resting place, and there are their then their relatives are there mourning, and people are trying to find a, the latest Pikachu. That's my issue with this augmented reality thing with with Pokemon Go. Now I know that in China there's another augmented reality game that's also kind of a craze. I didn't get, I didn't get a chance to do the research to find out the specifics on that case, but. Augmented reality is actually beyond um, beyond the the Pokemon Go game. I mean, this is this is a phenomenon. It's using uh, Google Maps and GPS, and you know, it's, it's a very um, technologically advanced game. But I just don't understand why is it necessary for, for for people to have to endanger themselves just to have fun. So I, I'm not really I'm not really into this game. I, I I don't get it. I mean, I get it and I don't get it. I I, I don't see why people have to be disrespectful in order, in order to play a damn game. Quickly, I want to mention this because we've got about four minutes and change remaining. I was checking out the uh, io9 Gizmodo website, and there's a gentleman there, a uh, gentleman of color, that uh, he does a great job on highlighting some stuff that, is a, that really details um, folks of color involved in 
pop culture. Evan Narcisse, if I'm pronouncing his name his, his last name cor- uh, correctly, he highlighted this Easy Rollins book that's coming out, and I, I love Easy Rollins uh, as a character. Walter Walter Mosley, the great Walter Mosley, who coincidentally is also a comic book guy. Uh, Dal, you, you know Walter Mosley. I think he wrote he wrote this uh, this big Fantastic Four coffee table book. Is that correct? Do you remember that? I believe so. Yes. Well, he's got this this um, new book called Charcoal Charcoal Joe, and um, it's interesting because you know, listen, we always talk about black males specifically, and and how there's kind of a an anti-intellectual streak that's pushed on us, as if blurs do not exist. Well, he's kind of tackling that in this new book, and he's tackling this this um, black criminal who. I don't want to give too much away about uh, too much way as far as the plot, but it is very interesting. Where he, he has a black criminal that's obvi- obviously of a genius level intellect, and how this black criminal is also trying to intervene on behalf of a wrongly accused uh, black young physicist who is also a genius of sorts. Well, he's definitely a genius. So the book really has it where. This this um, I guess Charcoal Joe Joe is this black criminal who is a, like a criminal mastermind or something, but he's looking out for this physics student who, who's black and is accused of murder, wrongly accused. And it's, I guess it kind of juxtaposes both sides of black intellect. And this is Walter Mosley, so um, I'm going to definitely pick up this book, Charcoal Joe, Walter Mosley, and also you know we see we've seen him his books make it to the big screen. Um, heck, we learned of Don Cheadle, who is, was our, who is our, our uh, war machine. He, we've got to see his, you know, devil in a blue dress. We got to see his, his abilities from Walter Mosley. So I guess it's kind of an interconnectedness of all this. But I think it's important for people to kind of, see what Walter Mosley is trying to do here. I wish we would see Walter Mosley do some comic books also. Maybe he can be convinced to do what Ta-Nehisi Coates has done. I'm pretty sure he would bring more people into the comic book print space also. What are your thoughts about, about this book and what it kind of means? Darryl? Well, uh, uh, the, what I want is uh, education. Uh, again, I'm not as finely educated as a lot of people even on this show, but Education gets respect. You know, everything isn't brawn. Everything isn't athletic ability. Everything isn't beauty. You know, uh, the brain has to have its own time in the sun. And one thing Mr. Mosley does is his books and stuff are fun and they'll make you think. And it's an interesting premise. It's almost like unbreakable in the way where the villain needs the hero to the point where he will help the hero because he feels that the, he can't be whole without that there, without that hero in place. He can't truly be whole. So that that's my meta take on it, you know. And, hey, brains can't work without everything else, but too often we discount brains and intellect. And I don't know why that is, but... And it's like the 90s. Chicks love the long ball. 
and you forget about pitching and everything else as a as a as a uh, a baseball reference. Well, too often we look at beauty and brawn, but you forget the third B brains, and that's something Mosley tries to bring back. Back to you, Afro nerds. Time flies when you're having fun, folks. We got to close shop. Claire, as always, we appreciate your your support. Daryl, the captain. We got to close the shop. We'll bring it up again next week. Of course, Wednesday we have the midweek in review. Let's go on out with Rain by Hadassah. Always a pleasure, folks. See you next time. Mm-hmm.